From the studios of Teeing It Up in the Swamps of Jersey, this is Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling for Tuesday, January 16th, 2018. Is it Tuesday? Yeah, it's Tuesday. Um, on this, the Tuesday of the week of the NFL Conference Championship Games, we welcome in into what's turning into a weekly spot, at least for the moment. Our buddy, Mr. Danny Flecka, will get to off your chest in a second, but hello, sir. How's it going? Um, when you were sitting there and you saw that Vikings-Saints game be 17 nothing, did you ever think that the craziness that would ensue would happen? I, I definitely didn't see the end coming, but I was telling myself, you know, the entire game, you know, if the Saints can get a touchdown and make it 17-7, then I think that, you know, Minnesota would press a little bit. They, they got a good 17-point cushion to start off that game, some sloppy offensive uh, play by New Orleans helped that. But um, once the Saints got on the board, you saw them start, starting to get some confidence. They were starting to get some pressure home on Keenum, uh, you know, forced them to do a big turnover that let them, uh, I think, take the lead with that touchdown there. Um, what, the 21-20, I think. Um, but the end... Uh, no, no, I don't think anyone saw that coming, especially when the Vikings got the ball back with, what, 35 seconds left. Uh, I don't think anybody saw that that play coming. If they did, oh, God bless them, because uh, I don't think I've ever seen that, anything like that in my 20 years of watching football. Um, you know, it's interesting. The Saints had no... Hold on, might sneeze. <coughs> that would be a sneeze. I haven't told sneezes on radio don't sound good, so bear with me. Um, that was a game where the Vikings' defense had been ferocious, and the Saints finally got some offensive mojo. When that happens, and when they got Kamara going, you thought, okay, this is where they're going to take over. But Case Keenum and company answered back every time. Yeah, I mean, they got that big interception in the first half, and I think Drew Brees was shut out for the first time in the first half uh, since, like, 2009. Um, so that defense was playing pretty well, and they were getting, you know, what they needed to get out of that defense early on, and the offense was capitalizing with, with touchdowns to the field goals there. They did miss a field goal, uh, but the Saints did as well, so, you know, that's a watch at the end of the day. But, you know, that last four minutes, I think there were, what, four different lead changes with the Saints touchdown, Vikings field goal, Saints field goal, and then the touchdown again. I mean, just crazy. That's what you want in a playoff game. Um, you know, terrible outcome for the Saints, any backers that took the Saints at, you know, plus four and a half and, and under, and uh, euphoria for Vikings fans and anybody that took the, the over and Minnesota that had anything under than uh, anything less than four and a half. Um, we are talking to Danny here on Teeing Up with Jeremy Schilling. As a guy who loves the X's and O's, take me through um, the... Uh, Take me through that last play through your eyes. As somebody who loves to look at at the quarterback, thought on that. You got, what, six seconds left? I think it was. Normally it's that quick out to get out of bounds. What did, what did you see observing it? And then what did you think of, obviously, him turning it upfield at the end and taking that big risk? Because the game would have ended if he had not been, uh, uh, sorry, if he had been tackled in the field of play, turns it upfield, whole fate changes. I'll take it back a couple of plays before that, too. I mean, the Saints had the ball. They got that huge fourth down and long uh, conversion to, to Willie Sneed on that eight-out pass. 
then they come back and they're, they're throwing the ball a lot. I think if I were Sean Payton, I, knowing that the most possible outcome that you're going to get the field goal, I may have run it, run it a couple of times, maybe take some more time off the clock, knowing the situation that the Vikings were in. He doesn't do that. They kick it off. Vikings get the ball back. That last play, so the play before that, they run the same play. They're in the same play, the same side, uh, same formation, um, and they were able to get an incomplete pass, I think, on that on that play. Next play, same pass, same play. They, they called the same exact play. Um, this time, they had Diggs go a little bit deeper than the receiver in front of him, which I think was Thielen, and the only shot he had at it was to go up in the air and get it. Now, my, my thought when I was watching that was knock it down, knock it down, hit him, do anything to not let him have a clean shot at it. And reports came out that saying that the, the guy that, that missed tackle, Williams was his name, uh, was there too soon. He didn't want to get a pass interference call, so he tried to tackle him inbound. But when you look at the replay, he was off by a yard, by a complete yard. Even if he was attempting to hit him, he didn't hit him at all. Didn't even touch him. Worst part is, not, not that it really makes that much of a difference, I think, on that play specifically, is that he takes out two of his own defenders because he missed on the outside rather than the, on the inside. So, if it were me as a coach, I'm telling them, hit the guy, let them beat us. What, what I mean by that is, even if the guy got a pass appearance call there, the pass interference call would have happened, what, the 36-yard line? You're still asking the kicker on, on the Vikings to take a 50-something-yard field goal to beat you. Now, if you make that, so be it. You're meant to win the game if you're the Vikings. But I feel like that play, even if he says that, oh, I was holding up, I didn't want to get a pass interference, you can do the worst thing possible, and that is not even make a play on the ball at all. So if, if I were a coach, I'm telling them, you know the ball's going to the sideline, play deep, Attack the ball when you see it in the air. We'll live with the, with the circumstances after that, that ball is in the air. But you got to make a play on that ball. you got to hit that receiver. you got to do something to not let it be that easy for him. Uh, one last thing on this game before we move on. Uh, I was really impressed by this offense between Murray and McKinnon, who you pointed out, Thielen and Diggs, and even Rudolph and Wright. They, Case Keenum's got multiple weapons. Do you think this can continue and all these guys can keep stepping up in big spots and basically playing the, the, the best games of their lives in, in crunch time. You know, they don't really have a choice now. That, you know, they're at this point where they need these guys to continue to, to play where they're at. I think that the most important thing, you know, uh, looking ahead is can that offensive line hold up against that Philly uh, D-line? I think, um, you know, from a linebacker standpoint, a secondary standpoint on the Eagles defense, the Vikings should be able to have an advantage there. I mean, when you look at the secondary and, and back you back seven between the Saints and the Eagles, I, I wouldn't say that there's that much of a discrepancy between the two. They're pretty much even. So it's going to come down to that offensive line and that running game versus the Eagles front seven and their D-line because the Eagles have a pretty good D-line. They, they have the best rush defense in the NFL by numbers this year. So um, I'll be watching that closely. I think that's my biggest um, – scouting tip for this week when you look at that game is, you know, how does the offensive line for the Vikings hold up and establish a run game against the defense of the Eagles? Alright, let's uh, let's jump into this, and uh, this is Off Your Chest, where Danny tells us what's on his mind. Let's just go through these three other games. 
You thought Titans Pats would be a lot closer than I did. I thought it would be a romp. It, it, it was a romp. What did you take from that game? You know, simply a team that, you know, I think I mentioned was overmatched, and the only way they could have stayed in that game was to have manageable third-down situations and get Tom Brady off the field. It worked for maybe a couple of drives, and then after that, it was uh, the same old thing as the Pats do in these divisional rounds in these in the sixties or, or four seeds that come into Gillette. They just don't have a chance unless they can get to Brady and sack him and get him off the field. So they didn't do that. The Pats did what they had to do, and, and you know, uh, I thought the Pats would cover. I thought it'd be a little bit closer, and they would pull away a little bit later than they did. But terrible clock management at the end of the first half by the Titans, and um, the Pats got that pretty generous call on that punt. Um, it, it was like late in the first quarter that really just you know added fuel to the fire, and that game was, was over right there. Congrats to the Eagles, who I think defied all the odds, but Atlanta. That, that offense's inability to score in the red zone really caught up to them on on, on a big stage. you got to give the Eagles credit, especially on defense, but still, geez. Yeah, I think I mentioned that, you know, when we spoke on Friday. You know, we were previewing these games that my one concern with Atlanta was their red zone offense. Um, and the Eagles, as long as they could do that, they could stay in the game, and, and they did. And Atlanta's inability to target, you know, big-time players in the – big time situations was what did them really at the end of the year. I, I think I read a stat that, that Julio Jones had 18 red zone targets this year and only one catch, which was a, was a touchdown. And so you have your best, one of the best wide receivers in football, if not the best, one touchdown in the red zone, that, that's a problem. So, um, you know, I think the play calling kind of stunk at the end. You know, you did the, I think it was fourth down. And they do a rollout, cutting off past the field, and the receiver slips. Yeah. You have no shot there. So, they will play calling. Um, you know, we'll see what they do this offseason to maybe get in a, a better rhythm on the offensive side of the ball. But you got to squarely put that one on, on, on that offense. They had, I think, multiple opportunities to maybe take advantage in that game. And uh, whether it be a penalty here or bad route running or. Uh, a couple bad throws, you know, they weren't able to do it, and uh, I thought if the Eagles defense could keep them in the game for as long as possible, they would have a shot. And, you know, who would have thought that, you know, Nick Foles would have played the game that he did, but, you know, there's, there's two plays in that game that really stand out to me. One was that fumble at two-yard line that, that Nick Foles was aware enough to pick up. You know, if he doesn't pick that up, who knows where that game goes. Another one was that big play right before the half the Alshon Jeffrey on the sideline that he got out with maybe a tenth of a second left on the clock uh, to kick that field goal and make it 10-9 and a half times. So those two plays right there were, were big plays to me when I look back at that game and say, why the Eagles won that game? You got nine points right there that maybe don't happen unless you, um, you know, get them to go your way. But they, they did, and they, they were able to hang on there at the end. Uh, talking to Danny here on Ting It Up with Jeremy Schilling. This is Off Your Chest. Um, Jag Steelers give it up for the Jaguars um, I mean look they, they were able to run the ball with Fournette they got just enough passing out of Bortles but their defense stepping up big getting the fumble return interception and then the weirdness of the play calls by Mike Tomlin I don't know what he was thinking on those two fourth and ones even though they converted one of them and then the quizzical onside kick uh, he's got a lot of questions to answer. I think he's one of the worst in-game coaches in the NFL. I, I think he's nothing more than a cheerleader. 
I'm not exactly sure I prepared this team. They didn't look focused for the first half of that game. They were lucky to have 14 points, uh, you know, at halftime. It's just, um, you know, poor execution defensively. Offensively, you know, there were a couple drives there where they, they maybe had a chance to get back in the game and put some more pressure on Jacksonville, but they could never make it a tie game or a four-point game or anything else like that. And, you know, you mentioned those two fourth-down plays, terrible, absolutely terrible. I never would have called them if it were me, you know, up in the booth. You run a, a sweet play early in the game. With a previous play, you ran the same exact play from shotgun. You got to have a little more creativity than that, and you know you're playing into the teeth of that defense, which is their speed to the outside. Um, then that fourth down pass they had that was incomplete to Juju Smith-Schuster. I, I think there's a higher percentage play there, and you know when you look back at it, Ben Roethlisberger, six foot five, two hundred and fifty pounds, and not once did you act like you were going to maybe run up the middle with him. So um, you know they got a lot of questions to answer this offseason that. That Todd Haley, Ben Roethlisberger combination, you know, it's set to be strange. Who knows if it is or if it isn't, but I think as long as Tomlin's there, you know, their in-game adjustments and, and their defense is just so predictable at times. And, and if you can't stop Blake Bortles from passing, you know, and making those completions and, you know, getting not getting big stops, they didn't even sack him. They didn't sack him one time. Was, we're looking at one of the teams that had 50-plus sacks in the regular season. Yeah, you got to look yourself in the mirror and say, did we do enough to prepare for this game and have everybody on the same page? Um, all right, so now let's take a break from football for just one second. What's been the Boston reaction to the Cavs' struggles, um, especially since Kyrie's come back and they just have not found the chemistry? I mean, if you're a Celtics fan, you're absolutely ecstatic with the the start that they've had, you know, I really, really like Tatum coming out of the draft. I was hoping that the Celtics didn't take both. I didn't see him being that type of player that warranted all that hype and number one pick. I thought Tatum presented more value and more upside, and, you know, thankfully they, they thought the same thing. And the Cavs are a, a weird team, right? You have a lot of veterans there that have been to the final three years in a row. They won it once, and, um, I just don't know if they have, you know, where's the the motivation to do what you've been doing the last couple of years if you're, if you're that team and you got the LeBron cloud hanging over you the entire year, like, will he stay or will he go? And, and it's tough. And if there's one sport where you need your best player to be there and focused and, and all in, it's basketball because you only have five guys. So I think the Cavs are in for a reality check. You know, they have some assets that they, you know, could dangle out there to get some, you know, good players. But are you giving up your, your pick that you got for Kyrie if, if LeBron goes? Then you're you're really stuck and you're, you're going nowhere anytime soon. So, um, you know, in Celtic country here, they're happy. It's still only January and who knows what happens. But, you know, they're a good young team. They're fun to watch. Brad Stevens, I think, one of the best coaches in the NBA and maybe in all the sports. He's a smart guy, he knows what he's doing, but the team always plays for him, so it's going to be interesting, I still think, you know, I haven't watched a lot of the NBA recently, but you know, Golden State's probably still the standard, but if you're a Celtic fan, you got to be happy with where that team's going, and seeing the Cavs potentially now hitting the back nine of that roster, and potentially bowing out early in the playoffs, and maybe not even seeing them at all, so you got to hope that that's the case, and you go from there. Um, we are... 
now going to move to the end of this radio program by looking at these two championship games. We will start with the one that goes first, the AFC Championship game between Jacksonville and Pittsburgh, 305 on CBS. Your thoughts, sir? Uh, uh, sorry, Jacksonville, Jacksonville, New England, excuse me. Yeah, this game is minus nine in favor of the Pat. Um, you know, when, when I look at this game, I, I'm looking at a couple things. Is, you know, what does Jacksonville do with Gronk? Do they double him with a linebacker and safety over the top? Do they put him one-on-one with maybe Ramsey and see what Ramsey can do? Um, do they put Calvin Smith on him with his speed? You know, how are they matching up with Gronk? And, and then two, can the Jaguars sustain drives if their running game is going nowhere? So that, those are the two things I'm looking at. Um, I just think at the end of the day, when, when you're the Pats, you play similar style defenses like the, the Seahawks in the past, you know, in big time situations, and you're at home, crowd's going to be ready, going, you know, going after them. Uh, I think it's a closer game than maybe people want to think it's going to be, just because I think Jacksonville's defense does make life a little difficult for the Pats, you know, early on. But I think at the end of the day, you know, the Pats running back out of the backfield will create, you know, the biggest mismatch and biggest problem for Jacksonville. And, you know, I'll say the Patriots win 28-14. to 14. It's going to be close, but I, I think the Pats ultimately do um, pull this out, and I think they do um, ultimately find a way to win like they always do. Uh, it would be a heck of a story if Jacksonville um, could could pull this out and head to their first Super Bowl. And then we've got Minnesota and Philly, um, and I can't, after seeing Minnesota for the first time all year, uh, for a full game and seeing the way they won that game and the weapons and the way Case Keenum played in that defense, I, I think Minnesota's going to win this game. Yeah, it's, it's another tough one. I felt, you know, I feel the same way I, I did about the Falcons game last week with the Eagles. You know, can the Eagles defense keep them in the game? Um, it, it's tough because the Minnesota defense is better than um, Atlanta's defense and they have a, a good running defense. They have some good corners. Uh, at the end of the day, the only thing I'm really looking at is, you know, which quarterback do I trust more in this situation? Um, you know, the Eagles had a great game plan offensively with their RPOs and their, their running game and their screen game. Helped Foles out the other day. His downfield shot that he took early in the game was, was pretty pretty terrible. So they stayed away from any of those types of throws the rest of the game. But, you know, I'm going to put... My stock and what the Vikings have done all year, you've gotten as far with, with what's worked. And uh, I just think that if you're down 17, 13, or, or something like that, if you're the Eagles and you have the ball at your 20-yard line with two minutes left to go, you know, can you get those yards to win the game or kick a tiny field goal? And I just don't know if, if Nick Foles has it in, them and, in him. And um, I, I just think Vikings defense will present some problems, and I think Minnesota wins that game. We shall see how it all shakes out. Danny, I appreciate you coming on as always. No problem, man. Anytime. Thank you uh, for doing Off Your Chest. That is this week's Teeing It Up with Jeremy Schilling. Enjoy the Career Builder Challenge and the PGA Tour, and we will see you soon.